this series, we've been talking about Jesus going down the road to Jerusalem. And uh, next Sunday, uh, he's going to get there. Next Sunday will be Palm Sunday. And we'll celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And today we're going to look at uh, one of the last events that we're going to talk about uh, before Jesus went into Jerusalem. And this is in the Gospel of John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard of expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But once if his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So we find Jesus in the home of Martha and Mary uh, again, like we did a couple of weeks ago. And this time Lazarus is there. And Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so this was quite an impressive miracle. And so there were a lot of folks who had believed that Jesus must be the Messiah. Uh, But then there were others that this miracle just further fueled their desire to get rid of Jesus. Um, The the scripture in chapter 11, verse 53, right before where we started reading today, it it says, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So they were planning on how they could kill Jesus. As a matter of fact, they decided they were going to kill Lazarus too, since uh, that was, you know, get rid of the evidence kind of thing. So um, the very next day after this event that we we just read about, Jesus got up and went to Jerusalem. So Palm Sunday is the very next day, and we'll we'll be celebrating that uh, next week. Now, Lazarus and uh, Martha and Mary lived in Bethany, which was just a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. It was sort of like a suburb to Jerusalem. And whenever Jesus went to Jerusalem, he stopped and stayed at their house. And apparently other times, too, he stopped and stayed at their house. So Lazarus and Martha and Mary are not disciples in a traditional sense. They didn't leave their home and follow Jesus. They stayed where they were, but their home was always there, and Jesus was always welcome to come and stay with them. And they were close friends. And and apparently, I mean, to me, that's kind of what the relationship feels like. They're not really disciples so much as they are friends. They just love Jesus. And you get the impression that they would have loved Jesus whether he was the Messiah or not. And I think that's why Jesus enjoyed being there so much. Because it's nice to be around people who just love you for who you are. And I think that's the kind of relationship they had. And uh, so they were giving this supper in Jesus' honor. Now, some translations say they were giving a dinner, but I'm from the South, and I'm going to translate that properly. It was the evening meal, so it was supper. And uh, they were having this, uh, this big supper for Jesus and his disciples, and everybody was invited, and uh, Lazarus was there. 
And uh, this, this miracle, Jesus raising him from the dead had just happened. And so, you know, people were coming up to Lazarus and saying, wow, man, I can't, I can't believe you're here. I went to your funeral. You know, this is, uh, and, uh, and Lazarus is just kind of getting tired of it all and just kind of started telling people, yeah, I got better. Um, and uh, so now there, there is a bounty on Lazarus's head, which I find sort of ironic and a little funny. I mean, Jesus raised him from the dead, so now they're going to kill him again uh, as, as a way of getting back at Jesus and getting him out of the, out of the picture. Uh, so Martha also is there, and she's in the kitchen, of course. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Mary, about Martha, and, and how they're different. Um, but Martha's, you know, she's in the kitchen preparing the food, making sure the tables are set and everything is just right. And she tells Lazarus, if he nibbles on that cake one more time, not even Jesus will be able to take, get him back from what she's going to do. And so she's all concerned about the details. And, you know, that's how we, we always kind of just say, you know, Mary's the spiritual one and Martha's the one concerned about all the mundane details. But I have to tell you, I love Martha. I really do. Mary is, um, you know, she's the young one. She's, she's the youngest. She's spontaneous. She's free-spirited. Mary is easy to love. She's one of those people, you just meet her and you love her. But Martha's a little, little standoffish, a little harder to get to know. Martha's one of those people that she doesn't say, I love you so much as she expresses her love by washing our clothes and fattening us up. That, that's Martha. And, and she and Mary, they both follow, are followers of Jesus. They just use their different gifts. And I, I have to tell you, if it came down to a choice between Mary's Bible study and Martha's Easter dinner, <laughs> I'm going with Martha every time. So, uh, and, and you know, and Mary's there. Mary's kind of taking assignments, whatever Martha tells her to do. She goes and sets the table and does whatever. And then, uh, you know, she kind of wanders off and Martha has to find her again, give her a new assignment. And she goes and does that. She isn't as interested in all these details as Martha is. She doesn't care to be like that because she'll never be as good a cook as Martha anyway. And so she just kind of does her own thing. And the table is finally set and food is on it, and the food is hot, and Lazarus is sitting there reclining at the table next to Jesus, and Martha standing there, a flower on her apron, a wisp of hair has come loose and fallen across her face. Mary is nowhere to be found. <laughs> but they decide to go ahead and start the meal anyway, so Jesus says the blessing, and they begin to eat. And while they're eating, Mary entered the room. And she was carrying with her this big clay jar. And she went over to where Jesus was reclining at the tables. In those days, you didn't sit in a chair pulled up under the table, but the tables were low. And so you reclined on one side next to the table. And so your feet were kind of, you know, curled around behind you. And so Mary went over to where Jesus' feet were. And she got down on her knees Catholic scholar Raymond Brown says that every time Mary is mentioned in the Gospels, she ends up at Jesus' feet. So everyone in the room is watching her as she knelt down and she took the lid off that jar. 
And when she did, the room was immediately filled with this sharp fragrance, somewhere between mint and ginseng. And then she reached back and she loosened her hair, which no respectable woman would have done in a room full of men. And then she poured this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and took her loose hair and began to to wipe his feet with this perfume and with her hair. And everybody was just in shock. Nobody knew what to do with this. I mean, this was just, this was just so out of the ordinary. And, um, you know, everybody was just watching her. And we, we tend to get these scenes confused because there are three other accounts very similar to this in, in the other three gospels. Uh, but they're all a little different. In Matthew and Mark, the, the woman who, uh, the woman anoints Jesus' head, not his feet. And, and the woman who anoints him, it, it, it takes place in the house of Simon the leper, not in this home. Uh, but she, and she anoints his head with oil. Um, and then the third story out of Luke, the woman is a, a woman of a bad reputation, a, a kind of woman of the streets who comes in and she washes Jesus' feet with her tears. And then she, she wipes oil on his feet. John's story is different because here the woman has a name. And her name is, is Mary. And she's not a stranger. She is a close friend. And she doesn't anoint his head. Because you see, when you anoint someone's head, that's what you do to kings. Uh, so, so in the other two stories, you know, anointing his head was like anointing him as the king or the Messiah right here in the empire of Caesar. They were saying, here is the Messiah. But kings don't get their feet anointed. You know who gets their feet anointed? Dead men. It was a part of the um, preparation for burial is you anointed the feet of the dead body. And so when she anointed Jesus, it was not... Uh, some anointing saying he was the Messiah, but it was an anointing for his burial, for his death. In less than a week, before Jesus got down on his hands and knees and washed his disciples' feet with water and dried them with a towel, Mary is down on her hands and knees washing his feet with her hair. And I wonder if maybe the most incredible symbolic act that Jesus ever performed, that act of washing his disciples' feet, wasn't inspired by Mary a few days earlier. So the room is, uh, is filled with fragrance. And Barbara Brown Taylor suggests that maybe this perfume was what was left over from Lazarus' funeral. It had been used to anoint his body after he died. And so it would have a familiar smell. It would be the smell of a funeral. It's the smell of death. The smell they, they were familiar with. And, and you know, it's, uh, I've read how the, the sense of smell is one of the most powerful senses that we have and that it can sometimes trigger memories more vividly than any of the other senses. Uh, I, I read an interesting story about um, Ann Smith 
who began um, Charlotte Food Rescue in Charlotte, North Carolina. And she needed donors and sponsors to make this happen. So she would drive around in a station wagon filled with donuts. And then she would go in and ask these different sponsors if they would support this ministry she was starting. And one day she was in an elevator going uh, in a building going up to see some potential sponsors uh, who at that they were executives of what was going to become the Bank of America. And someone mentioned to her how she smelled like donuts. And she said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and she got back on the elevator with two new donors signed up. Uh, because the sense of smell is, is really important. So this fragrance kind of, this fragrance just hung in the air. And, and, and Mary was still wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. Most of the guests just sat there in stunned silence. They didn't know what to do. And then one of them spoke up. It was Judas. And Judas said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's, it's worth a year's wages. Can you imagine? Expensive that is, worth a year's wages. But then John says Judas really didn't care about the poor, but he... He was the treasurer of the group and he used to help himself to the benevolent fund. And, um, but then Jesus said, leave her alone. <laughs> she, she has intended that she save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. It's a pretty good day when someone criticizes you and Jesus has your back. Now some people kind of misperceive Jesus' words, like Jesus is saying, oh, the poor will always be here, never, never mind them. But that's not what he's saying, because throughout the, the Old and New Testament, we have scripture that reminds us of our responsibility of caring for the poor, um, not only helping those in poverty, but actually looking to the day to end poverty. I'll never forget one day, uh, I was in seminary, and uh, this speaker came to chapel, his name was Jim Wallace. And he's an advocate for a lot of different justice, social justice causes. But he was talking about taking care of the poor. And he said, if you don't want to take care of the poor, then you, we should rip all the verses, all the, every page out of the Bible that has a verse in it about caring for the poor. And he had actually done that. <laughs> he had taken his Bible and ripped out every page that said something about caring for the poor. And, and he held up this Bible that was duct taped and about half the size of a normal one. And he says, this is what you have left. And I'll tell you, that made such an impression on me, that visual. And so, so Jesus is not in any way making light of our need and opportunity to help those who are hungry or who are poor. Um, you know, it's never been a problem that there's not enough to go around. It's just the problem is we, you know, we don't like to share. And when I read this, when I read this story, the word that comes to my mind is extravagance. Extravagance. Mary took this perfume and she poured it out. And it was worth one year's wages. Think about how much money you make in a year. And then think about just pouring that out at Jesus' feet. That's what Mary did. There, there are wines that uh, are sold in auction somewhere. They find this, uh, 
they find this incredible old wine that's in a castle cellar somewhere and then it goes to auction and people pay thousands, sometimes millions of dollars for that old wine. And they, they don't open it, they're not gonna drink it, they, they display it and they kind of show it off to people. But they will never know what it smells like. They'll never know what it tastes like. Mary is the kind of person that if she got her hands on one of those bottles, she would pop the cork in a heartbeat. Because Mary's love is just extravagant. It knows no cost. And when I read this story, I feel so ashamed. Because Mary could loosen her hair in a room full of men and pour out something that was worth a year's wages. And she didn't even care. She didn't care what anybody thought. She just loved Jesus. And that's all that mattered. Extravagant love. Have you ever been so in love with someone that you didn't care what anybody else thought? Have you ever been so in love with someone that it did not matter what the cost, you would do whatever it took to be with them? Have you ever loved someone so much that you just didn't care what anybody else thought? You were going to let them know you loved them. I hope you have, because that's how Mary loved Jesus. She just didn't care what anybody else thought. Boy, I want to love Jesus like that. I want to love Jesus with extravagance, not some calculated piety. I want to love Jesus no matter what anybody else thinks about it. I want to love Jesus no matter what the cost. By the way, that's how Jesus loves us. He is the expensive wine and he uncorked the bottle and he poured himself out for us. And his love for us knows absolutely no limits. His love for us knows no cost, no pain, no cross, no death, no anything too great. His love knows no limits. And God's love to us is not begrudgingly given, but it is extravagantly poured, just poured out. And, and in this, this next week, as we celebrate Holy Week, we're gonna look more closely at how Jesus, just not caring what anyone thought, poured out his love for us. I think this is why Jesus and Mary were such good friends. Because Mary understood something that not everybody gets. She understood that we love God extravagantly because that's how God loves us. That we can love God not worried about the cost because that is how God has already loved us. God is head over heels in love with you. And God doesn't count the cost. God loves us extravagantly. That's how God feels about you. Amen.